You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to OnlineCalvary.com. And there are crazy things happening in our world. And as I watch everything on TV, I don't know if you have this thought. This is the thought I have. Those astronauts had the right idea. Uh, you know, that is, that's what, you, leaving the planet is the right answer. So anyway, as we get started, when I was nine years old, I was living in Somerville, Massachusetts. I was hungry, walked into our kitchen, and I grabbed a bag of Doritos. The problem was, for whatever reason, people that are nine do things. I didn't want to chew the Doritos, but I still wanted the flavor of the Doritos. So what I did was, is that I licked all the cheese off of the Doritos, and then I didn't want to throw it away because, you know, that's wasteful. So, because the chips were still intact. So I put them back in the bag because truth be told, once you lick the cheese off of a Dorito, it has now become a Tostito. So anyway, I put it back in the bag and I want you to feel free to imagine a bag of moist, wet, formerly Dorito, now Tostito chips in a bag. So everything is fine. I put it all back, put it back in the cupboard until about an hour later when I hear screaming in my kitchen when my mom had decided that she wanted a Dorito too and she had taken a bite and the Dorito that she had bit into was moist. And uh, it, it, you know, so she walked into my room holding the bag of Doritos and this look on her face and, and honestly, that's when things got ugly. And, and I, I've told the story before and people have asked me like, oh, did your mom put you in timeout? Like, like, listen, my parents did not believe in timeout. They believed in something called knockout. And so that's what went down there. So now I tell you this because there are all things and you can think of your own thing that make us sick, stuff that grosses us out. And, and, and I want you to know this, that there's actually, if you read the Bible, there's stuff that makes Jesus sick. Hypocrisy. We hate it. And Jesus hates it as well. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches, uh, the last letter is written to a church in a, in a city called Laodicea. And he says this in Revelation chapter three. He says, I know your deeds, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, we, we recognize that, right? Is, is that hot tea is good, iced tea is good, room temperature tea is nasty. And, and it's like Jesus is saying, I wish you were all the way in, in your relationship with me, or you were all the way out, because being halfway is making us look bad. And that's the issue that so many people have uh, with Christians and uh, followers of Jesus is that if you ask, ask any group of people why they don't go to church, most of them have the, the same answer, right? I don't go to church because the church is full of, and you can say it, right? Hypoglycemic people. No, it's full of hypocrites, right? That, that's why. And, and, and what does that statement tell us? It's not that unbelievers don't want to believe. In fact, it says just the opposite. It says that unbelievers want to believe the gospel, the message of Jesus, the good news, but what they're looking for is to see if there are any Christians who actually believe the message of Jesus and embrace the gospel. This is the message of the book of Micah. Micah is one of those little books in the back of the Old Testament that doesn't get that much attention, and yet it's so important. 
And we bring Micah back every once in a while because every Christmas we quote from Micah chapter 5 because that's where we learn, the, the, that's where the prophecy is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and, and we'll talk about that. Uh, Jesus quotes Micah in Matthew chapter 10 in a passage that's very misunderstood. And uh, in fact, in a day when we are seeking justice, and as Christians, we're asking what our role should be in the pursuit of justice. Micah gives us what is probably the most important verse in the Bible on the subject of justice. And we're going to talk about that uh, in the upcoming weeks as well. Now, as we embark on this, there's a couple of things that I want you to know as we look at this really important book in the Minor Prophets. Uh, the time of Amos' ministry was around 740 B.C., he was a contemporary, if you're like, well, what does that exactly mean, 740, what was happening around that time? Um, there was a couple of other prophets around that time. There was a prophet named Hosea, a prophet named uh, Amos, and a prophet named Isaiah, who were all prophets around that same time. Now, Isaiah uh, was one of the elites because he was connected to the royal family, spoken in the court, and so uh, Micah wasn't like that. Micah was a regular guy and reached regular everyday people with his message. In fact, some Bible scholars have called Micah the cliff notes to Isaiah because so much of Micah is recorded in the book of Isaiah and, and, and vice versa. And there's a reason for that, which we'll talk about uh, in the future. And the thing that makes him uh, very special, Micah, is that he's the only prophet that was sent to both the northern and the southern kingdom. Now, if you don't remember, and we talked about this a few weeks back, but I know it, it, all the days seem like a blur now. In 931 BC, after the death of Solomon, who was King David's son, Israel went through a type of civil war. And the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Ten tribes to the north went uh, together, and they formed what was called the, the northern kingdom of Israel. Their capital was a city called Samaria. And then the southern kingdom, there was only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and they were called the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem was their capital. Now, almost all the prophets were sent to either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Micah is the only prophet who was sent to both kingdoms because they were both guilty of the same thing. And Micah's message is about the people of God truly walking with him because both kingdoms were guilty of giving God lip service, but instead living however they wanted. So we're going to start in Micah chapter 1, in verse 1, and here's what we read. It says, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all you peoples, and listen, O earth, all that is in it, let the Lord God be a witness to you, the Lord, from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like fires poured down a steep place. All this for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins on the field, places 
for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones in the valley. I will uncover her foundations uh, and her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. And all her pay for a harlot will be burned with fire. All her idols will lay desolate for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot. She shall return to the pay of a harlot. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I, I will make a wailing like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches for her wounds are incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. If you pause there and give me your attention, and uh, I, I know you're reading it, you're like, wow, that's, that's like really dense. Uh, how do I make, what are we talking about here? Micah opens the book by sharing the sins of the northern kingdom, idolatry. And then he says this, that it's the same thing that happens in the southern kingdom. The difference is, is that the southern kingdom heard this message and instituted reforms. The northern kingdom never did. The northern kingdom had 20 kings and each one was worse than the one before. And because they didn't turn and change their ways, it would be uh, less than 20 years, about 18 years to be exact, uh, before the kingdom of Assyria came and carried them away captive. And we actually have record of what happened at that time. In the book of 2 Kings, you'll see this. Uh, it says this, and all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt and from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of other nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. Later in 2 Kings 17, it goes on and it says this, and the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all of his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands, decrees, and ordinance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets, but they would not listen. And they were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves two idols, cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to the starry host and they worshiped Baal. And they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, arousing his anger. Now, once again, a lot of content. Let me, let me just, this is so important. Um, because sometimes we think that, man, God gives these commands and, you know, what, like, what's the point? I mean, we're just upsetting God if we don't do it. Listen, God's commands aren't for him. They're not for him. God's commands are for us. God warns the people about idolatry and worshiping these other gods because he knew that these other gods would destroy their lives, that these people were sacrificing their kids, literally, to their idols. They were involved in all kinds of sexual perversion in service to their idols. They would cut and mutilate themselves in service to their idols. And so God removes them from the land because he's like, look, you're killing yourself by doing this and you're violating the terms of the agreement when you were on your way in. And here's what I know is that we're going to remove you and then things will be better when you come back. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, as the people are about to go into the land, Moses says to the people, you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God, and it shall be 
that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from the land which you go to possess. You see, that's not God saying, ha, 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 I'm so excited to do this. No, it's, it's like a parent disciplining a child and saying, look, no, you're not going to have this privilege because we're trying, it's not about just giving you what you want, it's about you becoming a certain type of person. You see, it's, it's like when the Bible says that God is jealous, a jealous God. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that God is jealous of you, like God wants something that you have. No, it means that God is jealous for you. Like, if you are a parent, that you want everything good for your kids, and you want to give them every opportunity, even opportunities that you yourself didn't have, this is God's heart for you. And listen, idolatry destroys that. And it ruins your future because it entangles you in things that destroy everything it touches. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Um, in the rest of chapter 1, he goes through all of these different cities, some in Israel and some in not, and talks about what's, what's gonna, how all of this is going to happen to them. But he, in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, he begins and he says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. And they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Now, if you pause there, uh, the other reason God is bringing justice is because the people were being unjust in their dealings with one another. They were robbing, defrauding, trying to rip each other off. Verse one says, and they're doing it because it is in the power of their hand. And that refers to the people who are in authority abusing their authority for the sake of their own purposes. Now, and uh, if you want to write, if you're a note taker, you can uh, actually write down uh, 1 Kings 21. And I believe this is a reference to that uh, in 1 Kings 21, which is a pretty famous story. If, if you're not aware of it, you, you become familiar with it. it. It's a reference to a field that belongs to a guy named Naboth. And uh, the king, whose name is Ahab, wants the field. He says to Naboth, sell it to me. And Naboth won't. So his wife says, hey, why are you all upset? And Ahab says, well, this guy won't sell me his field. And uh, so Jezebel, uh, the queen, devises this plan to have Naboth murdered, and then they take possession of his field. And there, there's three sins by which God indicts the northern kingdom of Israel for covetousness, for violence, and for being oppressive. And uh, that's what Micah then tells us what the false prophets are saying, which is inciting this. And you'll see this in verses uh, six and seven. It says this, do not prattle. Uh, you say to those who prophesy, and so they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? You see, the people were saying to Micah, and this is what he's quoting them, they're saying, hey, don't talk to us. We don't want to hear it. We don't think anything bad is going to happen to us, and we don't want to hear your negativity. And so Micah then says, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? 
I mean, if you want to get ahead in your life, why not do it God's way? Because his words are still available to you to guide you to do the right thing. Listen, do you know that there's no one who has uh, obeyed God and it led to the destruction of their life? On the contrary, obeying God becomes the way to a blessed life. You see, and even though they aren't listening, God gives them this wonderful promise of what happened after the season of discipline is over. And he says it in verse 12. He says this, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. And so they shall make a loud noise because of so many of them. The one who breaks open shall uh, come out before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and it shall go out. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. The promise that God gives is that at the end that he's going to regather his people after this season of captivity and that he will lead them as their God. And, and you're saying, okay, now Pastor Bob, that all sounds good, but that was written for people 2,700 plus years ago, and how could that possibly have any bearing on me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because everything that Micah warns these people about, the New Testament warns Christians about because we're still dealing with the same thing. So if you're a note taker, I wanna talk about three things from this text as we close that really apply to us. So here's number one, is that idolatry is the worship of our own desires. In times past, people would worship a statue, they would worship an idol, they would worship a trinket to get their desired outcome. So they would worship a god like Baal. In fact, you'll see a picture on the screen of uh, Baal. When I was at the Israeli Museum, they had this whole uh, Canaanite, um, this this whole Canaanite uh, display that they were doing, and it was all things that they had excavated, and they had all these little statues of Baal that people would carry around in their pockets, like this little pocket god. And uh, now Baal was, a, they believed, this god of power and lightning. He was the god that brought rain. And in agrarian culture, rain was the difference between feeding your family and starving. And so they would worship the idol to get the thing that they wanted. And, and, and once again, a lot of us push back and we say, yeah, but we're educated people. I mean, who bows down to a statue and, and worships it? Well, we still do, but we just change how we do our idolatry. The Apostle Paul, when he was talking to a church in a city called Colossae, he wrote a letter to them called Colossians, and he wrote this. You'll see it on the screen. It says in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You see, idolatry is whenever I try to seek to fulfill my own desires by circumventing the ways of God. And whatever it is that we want, idolatry offers us the opportunity, hey, you can have this without waiting, without sacrificing seemingly, and definitely without any consequence. But if we'll have a little bit of foresight and look a little bit down the road, you know what we find? Is that the idol that seemingly offers us everything now without waiting exacts a huge toll on us. I mean, think about your life. Think about most of the regrets that we have in our lives. Don't they usually involve impatience over something that we wanted and we didn't wanna do it God's way? And the thing that said it was easy and free and of no consequence later required its pound of flesh and hurt us deeply 
And that's because idols demand everything and never deliver. And God loves us too much to let us get caught up in that mess. When I was starting college, I was 19, and uh, I was in my first semester of college, and my car had broken down, and my dad uh, offered to buy me a car, which I was super grateful for. But what he said was, look, go to some used car lots, narrow the scope, and then the next day, um, I'll go with you, and we'll, we'll buy the car. So I did that. So I went to a couple of places, and then I saw the car that I wanted. It was a purple lowrider pickup truck. Now, I want you to imagine, now this is once again was, um, this is like 1993 or so. So this is when, if you remember back then, like low rider pickup trucks with, you know, these big box speakers in the back, that was really popular at the time. Uh, because not only could you listen to your music, but people who were two counties over could hear the music that you were playing. And so, now anyway, I loved the car, and uh, the, the, the car had over 100, the truck had over 100,000 miles, but I didn't care. All I could picture was me driving down the road, blasting music out of these, these big box speakers that I had in the back. And then the next day, I took my dad, and I'm like, look, dad, here's, here's the car. And, uh, and so he looked at it, and he's like, did you notice that there's a giant crack in the windshield? And I'm like, Oh, no, I didn't see that. And he's like, did you notice all these dents um, that are in the car? I'm like, well, I didn't see that. He's like, did you notice that the, one of the, the, door, the passenger door doesn't really even open? And uh, I, I, well, I didn't notice. What's weird is I didn't notice any of those things. And, and here's the thing. We ended up getting a different car, obviously. But there's a principle that sometimes when we want something, we just don't see the danger because our desire is so strong. And there's this principle uh, of life that is so important for us that when I see as God sees, I will do as God says. And I think that that is the most important thing for us. Like trusting God changes our perspective on the future and absolutely changes our perspective in the present. Here's the second thing I want you to know is that your life empowered by God's spirit is unstoppable. Some of you know that uh, my life verse is Ephesians 3.20. And if you have, I know you haven't been inside Calvary for a while or maybe even ever. And, uh, but it's plastered all over the walls here. And Ephesians 3.20, if you're not familiar with it, uh, says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. There's something that I want you to note about that verse is that it's, important to note who is able. It's not us who is able. And uh, we are famously unable for doing anything except getting ourselves into a whole bunch of trouble. That verse teaches us that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Absolutely way more than we could possibly even imagine. And it's according to that power that's working in us. That's the thing that Micah is saying when he asks the question, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Is God limited in working in some ways that you have to take matters into your own hands? I think not. In fact, I think the problem that happens is, is that we dream dreams and have a vision that's too small for our lives. That we have dreams that are just about us and we have a vision that has nothing to do with what God wants to do in our lives and that's why things don't work out. And so this, once again, my encouragement to you is dream bigger. Dream and pray like there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants to answer. 
In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, the prophet Jeremiah says this. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Listen, too often, I believe God is waiting for us to pray a bigger prayer so that he can answer. I mean, to the single girl who says, you know, I, I just want a guy. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just too small a prayer to pray. I mean, why not pray a different prayer? You don't just want a guy. I mean, you, you pray, Lord, bring me a man of God who loves you, will pursue me and love me and draw me closer to you. Because if you just say, well, I mean, I just, no, but I just want a man. I mean, can't you answer that prayer yourself? But we want something better than that. You see, the second prayer is one that requires God to act. Years ago, uh, we were meeting in a movie theater in Miami Lakes as a church, and there was this warehouse in, in Miramar that we wanted to lease, and we, were, we thought it was a great idea, and it was gonna be kind of a temporary home for the next four or five years, and we did everything we could to get in there, and, and I remember praying like, God, you gotta let us get into that warehouse, and, 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 and it, it ended up not working out, and we stayed at the theater, and then we moved to a couple of high schools, and then we bought this property, and then we built this building, and then we bought the property next door, and now we're in process with that, but um, and, and I, listen, and I look back, and I realize that when I was praying God, I just want this little warehouse. And God is saying, will you stop praying small prayers? I've got a seven acres down the street. It's actually even on the same street. Uh, you just got to hang a left instead of hanging a right. And, uh, and, and it's yours if you'll trust me. You know, that little warehouse is a Sherwin-Williams paint store. And, uh, and I'm glad that we prayed bigger prayers because we saw God do exceedingly abundantly above anything that I could have even imagined. Last thing I want to tell you is that God wants to use the ordinary to do extraordinary things. Here's the thing that's different about Micah from the other prophets. Most of the other prophets were ignored. Micah was not. The southern kingdom heard Micah's warning and changed their ways. Fifty years before that, God sent a prophet named Jonah to preach to the Assyrians that would later come and conquer the northern kingdom and get them to change their ways. You see, and it shows us that one person can make a difference, that one person could change a nation. But we've gotta do what God has called us to do. And that just doesn't mean that it's just preaching that changes a nation. It means that we need Christians who really live what it's like to know God. And that means in the supermarket, and at the bank, and in line at Chick-fil-A, and at, with our neighbors, and online, can you actually believe that, and with our coworkers, because throughout the Bible, God has been asking this question, what's in your hand? He asked Moses that question, and he said, what's in your hand? A staff, and God said, go to Pharaoh, that staff's gonna turn into a snake. You put it in the Nile, it's gonna turn it to blood. He asked David, what's in your hand? And he's like, I got a sling and five stones, and that kid defeated a giant with what was in his hand. Jesus asked this little kid, what's in your hand? He's like, I've got uh, you know, five little rolls and two sardines. And he's like, okay, we're gonna feed, that's enough to feed 5,000 people when I take what you've got and we do something with it. The point is, is that sometimes we believe that God has to turn us into completely different people to use us and that's not the way it works. God will transform your mind. He will develop your character. He will deepen your spiritual understanding. But the, the, what he's never going to stop asking is what's in your hand? Because God has, what God has put in your hand 
he has put in your hand so that you can serve other people. So I told you the story about licking Doritos when I was nine. Let's fast forward 28 years. Uh, I'm 37 years old and I go into my pantry at my house and I grab a bag of Doritos. Some things just don't change. And I take a bite and the Doritos are all wet. And my then three-year-old daughter had licked all the cheese off of the Doritos and put them in the bag. And she didn't know about my story. And I call Mia and I'm like, Mia, what happened? And, and she's like, oh no, you know, what's gonna, and, and I'm like, did you lick all the cheese off of the Doritos? And she's like, well, I'm so sorry. And, and like, well, what did you do? You know, I, I, I laughed. And I, I told Mia that that's disgusting and you shouldn't do it. And, and both of us, because we were both guilty of it, we both vowed that day that we would never do it again. And, and to this day, it has never happened again. And, um, and see, my, my point is this. It's an amazing thing that happens when you're in the place, when you wanted mercy, when you wanted grace, that you now have the opportunity to be the dispenser of mercy, the giver of grace. And when you say, well, yeah, I mean, how can I reflect Jesus? You can reflect Jesus if the only thing in your hand is a bag of Doritos. And that is what we need in the world now more than ever. Let's pray together. And Lord, we wanna thank you for the challenge, for the promise that you can take whatever is in our hand to fulfill what's in our heart. And so God, do what you're gonna do. Use us in the process because you wanna transform this world and you wanna use your church, your people to do it. So we pray that you do it. We ask that you'd use us in the process and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.